0: I'm Dr. Kristen Race, and this is Chasing Dreams with Amy J.
1: Welcome to Chasing Dreams podcast with Amy J. Amy believes that realizing a life without regrets is achieved by taking chances, chasing your dreams, making moves, and overcoming your doubts. The Chasing Dreams podcast will help you overcome life's obstacles, believe in your potential, and inspire you to face your fears. And now here's the woman who is passionately pursuing her dreams, Amy J. Hey,
2: Dream Chasers, this is Amy J. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to episode 219 of Chasing Dreams. Guys, it is April 1st on the day that we are airing this live. And so uh, it is not April Fool's. I am stoked to bring this guest. Dr. Kristen reyes is here. And, you know, this, you know, mental health has been an important issue and topic to me. And so when she came across my desk and I saw that she did a YouTube video, a TED talk that was on YouTube uh, called Generation Stress, I was like, you know what? You need to talk. <laughs> we need to talk to And I think it's a perfect time to have this conversation as many of you may be feeling some stress But also it's almost midterms or close to finals for college and high school students And so I thought it was the perfect time to bring her on. Kristen, thank you so much for coming on My pleasure. I'm so happy to be here. So Why or how did you get into this because I have to ask
0: as what what did young Kristen want to do? Sure I call myself an entrepreneur by accident. <laughs> so I'll tell you one thing: I never thought that I would be doing this. Um, you know, I think back. I was rec- recently reflecting on that. What did I want to do when I grew up? And there were two things that that came to mind. One, I wanted to be. I wanted to win a gold medal in the Olympics. Very nice. Not happened yet, but I'm not going to rule it out. <laughs> Could I ask what sport? I don't don't think I really cared. I think (laughs) I wanted to win a gold medal at the Olympics. I I, I loved all sports. Uh, And the other thing that I really thought I would do and um, really wanted to be a teacher. Uh, I had some teachers in my life growing up that had a tremendous impact on me and who I was. And I just was so inspired and Um, motivated and moved by them that I, they were incredible role models for me. And I actually started my career teaching, um, believe it or not. And then it it took a, took many different turns and it's still turning.
2: Wow. Well, you know, you shouldn't give up on that gold medal because right. right? Look at Eddie the Eagle. He got it. He kept fighting for it. Right. He made it happen. And you guys haven't seen that movie. You should watch it. It was was a great movie. Eddie the Eagle.
0: I loved that movie. I loved right? that movie. And yes, as a, a woman approaching 50, I think you can't rule it out. I might find my spot. You never know. There's other there are
2: games. Right? Isn't um curling is a thing? Mhm. Right? right? Exactly. Yeah. Curling enthusiasts, please do not come after me. It is an athletic sport. She could Absolutely. still do it. Absolutely.
0: Lots of skill involved, um, of but I spent many nights in bars during my college years practicing shuffleboard. So maybe that will give me enough. There uh, you go. The skills come from somewhere, right? <laughs> so you never
2: know. Yeah. But so then you went from teaching to mindfulness. Like, wh- that seems still to be a jump for me from one to the other. Sure. Is that true or is, did it seem natural?
0: It, it was. It flowed pretty naturally, and I'll try to kind of take you through it as quickly as possible. I, when I started teaching, I realized pretty quickly that I was drawn to um, kids who were struggling. And who were having a difficult time. And that was who who I really wanted to spend my time with, who I wanted to figure out, who I wanted to develop tools for. And so after a couple years in teaching, I decided to look at educational psychology. And I got a, a master's degree in educational psychology. And then I went on to get my doctorate degree in child, family, and school psychology with an emphasis in neuroscience. So uh, that was the transition into my degrees. Um, now, this was in 2005. I was um, I was close to finishing to finishing my doctorate degree. So, I had a toddler, an 18 month old. I was pregnant with my wow. second child. I was working full time. I was writing my dissertation in the evenings, and uh, for some insane reason, I also decided this would be a good time to do a complete remodel of my house. So things were a little crazy at that time. I was working full-time in a school, actually. And um, shortly after my son was born, I was diagnosed. I never quite recovered from um, the C-section that I had. And it actually... I, I started feeling really sick. And I didn't know why. And we... Tried to figure out whether it was postpartum depression or fibromyalgia or rheumatoid arthritis, and went through all of these tests. Uh, The irony of this is, while I was going through all of this stress during my pregnancy, I was studying the neuroscience of stress for my dissertation. Oh man! So, um, and and another thing was happening at the same time, which I was working both as an intern in a high risk, high need school. 95% free and reduced lunch, and I was also working in a wealthy independent school, and in both areas, I was seeing this incredible level of stress and anxiety in the students. And it wasn't due to socioeconomic situations. And in some ways, the kids in a higher risk school were actually more resilient than the others. But something was going on. And so I got to I began to get really curious about why these kids starting in kindergarten are so incredibly stressed. So combine this curiosity with me having this Total physical breakdown. Eventually, I'm diagnosed with an autoimmune disease that was likely triggered by stress. And So my solution was, you know what, I'm going to pick up my family. We are going to move to Steamboat Springs, Colorado, this little resort town. We're going to get out of the craziness of Denver and the pressure cooker and the busyness. And we're going to spend all of our days just, you know, drinking champagne, watching sunsets, and everything's going to be blissful. That'll fix it. That lasted a couple weeks. Mm. And I really became very clear on these stressors weren't going to go away. We can't protect our kids from the very different life and the different world that they're growing up in as compared to when we grow up, meaning my generation, and that this resilience needed to come from the inside. And I had developed tools through my own mindfulness practice, through my studies of the neuroscience of mindfulness to help me build resilience and heal during my autoimmune crisis. So I thought, why not let's experiment with some of these practices with these kids I'm working with in preschool and in elementary school. And I was working as a consultant in schools in Steamboat, and I had the opportunity to try some things. And it was amazing how quickly these kids picked up on these practices. It was like learning a language to them. They just soaked them right in. And within a month, um, between word of mouth of parents and teachers, I was teaching 70 classes a month in schools all over northwestern Colorado. That's fantastic. So it was kind of crazy, and I realized pretty quickly that wasn't sustainable. So I formalized um, the curriculum. I started doing some research on the curriculum, and then we developed ways to train teachers so that they could practice the curriculum with their students. So students could receive the benefits, and teachers could as well. And that program just took off by itself, it kind of snowballed, it has been incredibly effective and impactful, and um, wonderful to see teachers be able to just take hold of it and run with it on their own. And as that was growing, I I became very clear that these stressed kids were a product of their stressed out parents. And so I wrote the book, Mindful Parenting, and uh, started doing a lot of work with parents and talking in parent communities, talking to school communities. Uh, And as I was giving those talks, after I would finish, people would come up to me and say, hey, can you come speak to my accounting firm? We really need this. Mm -hmm. Can you come to my law firm? Can you come to my medical clinic? Everybody's so burnt out. They're so stressed. Mm -hmm. So when the timing was right, I decided to go into the corporate setting and developed programs for corporations. I developed programs for medical professionals and then most recently, I've really become um, very interested in supporting women, uh, particularly working women, uh, working moms, and have developed a partnership with a company called Solvasa, mm-hmm. um, which is an integrative beauty line that's all about helping women create beauty from the inside out. Mm-hmm. And so I'm able to share my, my mindfulness knowledge with them and their community and how they you can integrate uh, mindfulness into your skincare routine, which is something we do every day. And so there's just opportunities all over the place. Um, you, there's such a need, uh, unfortunately, because people are are stressed and they're struggling in a lot of ways. But I also think that we've been able to come up with some really uh, simple and very beneficial solutions that can make a big difference in people's lives.
2: That's a lot. That is a lot. That yeah. is- amazing and incredible how much you've done, how much your research and your solutions and uh, training has helped people. The thing that, that really two things hit me. One was uh, the kindergartners are stressed. That just breaks my heart. I mean, to hear mm-hmm. that and and it's regardless of economic status that makes me go like, what, what yeah. is it coming to where kindergartners who are supposed to just be coloring finger painting? Like what, your biggest stress should be, I, lo- I don't have a green. Right? <laughs> that should hopefully be the only stress you have, but to hear that they're stressed is like, what? but then two, uh your realization from your work that uh, stressed out parents are bringing up stressed out kids.
0: Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Yeah. Crazy. So I, you know, a couple of things I think are happening. Uh, one is, is the, for better or for worse, the, the world that kids are growing up in today is different than the world I grow up in. They're far more exposed to media at younger and younger ages. They spend way more time on screens, which stimulates survival mechanisms in their brain, which can also contribute to stress and anxiety. They have much less free time. Then when I was a child, they have very little time for unstructured play uh, because they're so scheduled and involved in so many activities, which is nice. But that unstructured play is critical for healthy brain development, particularly development of the prefrontal cortex, which is the part of our brain that offsets that stress-anxiety response. And so as we continue to give them less time for that just hanging out, and like you said, looking for the green crayon and building and tearing things down and playing in the dirt as they have less and less time to do things like that, it's changing the way their brains develop. So we have to be more intentional about strengthening these key structures in their brain um, and also providing them the time they need for their brains to develop in healthy ways. So that's one thing, um, environmentally, that I think is happening to kids these days. And then the other piece is that, that parents are stressed. They're more stressed than they've been in yes. previous generations. And, um, you know, we all know the reasons we have to be constantly accessible, we're glued to our phones, we're horrendously distracted, and all of that takes a toll on our brain, and when a parent is stressed, the, we have mirror neurons that reflect the emotions we see witnessed around us. So our kids pick up on that stress completely. You know, Mirror neurons are the reasons that infants smile at us when we smile at them, but they're also the reason that kids feel our stress and take it in, and they don't necessarily know how to process it or to make sense of it, but it impacts them on a physiological level in the same way it impacts us.
2: What I think is important about what you're saying is is that we don't realize that. I mean, everything you're saying is grounded in science neuroscience and it's it's amazing to me to hear this because i'm like we've always thought that and and i've always said hey kids pick up on things they they figure it out but you're saying is they really do scientifically pick up on things because of these mirror neurons that they're going through and um there was a talk earlier and i was trying to look up who it was neil degrasse tyson are you familiar with him
0: I know that name, but remind me of the
2: talk. He's an astrophysicist, one of the famous ones who, you know, has made it cool kind of around like Bill Nye, the science guy. And he was talking and I think it was on impact there. He was doing a talk and he was telling a story about how um, he was watching, observing a mother and child walking across, walking down the street and there was a puddle of mud and he was thinking to himself, uh, please let him jump. Please let him jump. Please let him jump into the, puddle. And the mother did not. Mother kind of dragged him away from the mud. And he was devastated by that because he's like, kids need to have that freedom to explore, to have that curiosity, to try things and learn things. And I think you, you're you both right. I think we're so used to giving kids a better life. We're going to do better for them that we, mm-hmm. we forget that, that um, having too many fences and frames around them and protections and structure... Is not necessarily good. And it sounds like you're saying that it's not.
0: No, absolutely not. Those are all learning experiences. Mm -hmm. How do I know what happens when I step in a mud puddle? I step in a mud puddle. (laughs) You know, how do I know what happens when I fall off the playground equipment? We don't allow them to make those mistakes when the stakes are low because we put such a bubble around them. And the message that our kids receive is... Well, I must not be capable of trying that or I must not be um, you know, good enough to take a risk because they've never experienced taking a risk, failing and getting back up again. It's the getting back up again that builds resilience. And we have to allow them to experience, you know, the tough coaches, the difficult teachers. Um, You know, not not that we should allow them to be bullied, but we have to give them some room to negotiate some of those social situations and provide them tools so that they know they can. And they don't go off to college thinking, oh, my gosh, I got a C on this paper. I'm an absolute failure. I'm never going to bounce back. Uh, you know, they, they need to, to have those failures. We need to share that we've had those failures and we've come back from them because they all think their parents are perfect um, <laughs> in order to um, build that resilience, to take risks, to fail and to get back up again.
2: And an analogy that I like to tend to use is, you know, for antibodies. And so my my sister is pregnant with a child and we've always joked, like, are you going to be the kind of parent that keeps them away from everyone that doesn't, that puts them in that bubble, so to speak? And she's like, no. And my dad's a big proponent. He's like, no, they have to be exposed to germs and build antibodies, exposure, exposure, exposure To, to a degree And, you know, build the strength and resilience. And it sounds like this is a similar kind of thing.
0: That's a great analogy. That's exactly what it is. Yeah.
2: And so for these kids that are in it now, right, I I hope that all those who are listening are taking these notes and, and being able to implement it, start implementing it in your life. But for those who are in it now, who are already grown, who are already stressed, most of the listeners now, especially those in college or in work environments, work settings, What can we do to help turn the tide, so to speak? Because sometimes I think that we feel helpless in the face of stress and there's nothing we can do. And it limits us from moving forward or chasing our dream because we feel life is too stressful for me to go down that path. I can't do it. And the truth of the matter is, it's not too late, but what can they do so that they realize that?
0: I think something that's a huge uh aha for a lot of people is starting to understand the stress response in the brain, Mm. because once we understand that, then the tools we can use to relieve that make a lot of sense. Mm. So um, essentially there's two main parts of our brain that are involved in the stress response. One being the prefrontal cortex in the front of our brain, that's the newest part of our brain. This is the part of our brain responsible for things like paying attention, for solving problems, for making good decisions, thinking about the consequences of your decisions, It uh, is associated with positive emotions, and effective engagement. Super important part of your brain, right? Then in back, we have what I call the alarm part of our brain or the survival mechanisms of our brains. So this was... Designed, The stress response was designed to help us run away when we ran into a saber-toothed tiger, or to fight it off, or to hide and be really still, do something, basically fight, flight, or freeze. So that's why we have that response. Now, when that is triggered our heart pounds more quickly, our breathing becomes shallow, our muscles tighten, senses sharpen, we release a bunch of stress hormones in our brain, cortisol, epinephrine, norepinephrine, and this helps us to escape. The problem is that in our modern lives, this stress response is triggered all the time, and it's not because of life-threatening circumstances. Our brain doesn't distinguish between that saber-toothed tiger and the midterm I have coming up in in calc class.
2: Both are the same severity.
0: Yeah, they both trigger that same kind of response. Even, you know, picking up, waking up to the alarm on your phone and having some kind of notification can trigger that stress response. And you haven't even gotten your feet out of bed yet. When that response is triggered, the other thing that happens, in addition to all those physical things, is our prefrontal cortex shuts down. So there's no... We lose that communication to the part of our brain that helps us solve problems helps us think about the consequences of our behaviors, helps us think positively, and helps us engage effectively with others. Mm -hmm. So essentially, that part of our brain shut down so that this part of our brain could help us survive. Now, when you go through a day and you have, and you've probably had days like this where everything goes wrong, you know, you're, you're late, your car's out of gas, you get a mean text from somebody, your computer shuts down, you're overwhelmed. As these things start stacking up, you know, your boyfriend's being a jerk, there's a midterm you forgot about, all of those things, then that we are constantly stimulating those survival mechanisms. And that rational part of our brain is we're not accessing it at all. The good news is that through, for me, through mindfulness practices, we can bring this part of our brain back online and calm the stress response. So when we strengthen that part of our brain through some simple mindfulness practices, it allows us to respond to these situations thoughtfully rather than just reacting impulsively often in a way that's going to make everything worse. So to to give you an example of a practice that I use dozens of times a day mm-hmm. it is a practice called PBR and for those college and graduate students I know you're thinking about the beer but it's actually pause breathe and respond with intention and the idea is when you notice you've been triggered the you know the first time you've noticed you've been triggered that you pause you take a couple of deep breaths. Mm-hmm. Now, remember when that survival mechanism is triggered, one of the things that happens is our breathing becomes very shallow. Right. So by taking a few deep breaths, we bring our sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system back into balance. This signals our prefrontal cortex to come back online. So just a few deep breaths, can ha- and then you can choose a response that can lead to the most positive outcome. So pause, breathe, respond with intention. Now that sounds, sorry, go ahead.
2: Well, when you just said um, respond with intention, you're saying look for the most positive, choose the action that would bring about the most positive response in regard to that stress.
0: Yes, in regard to whatever that trigger is, whatever that situation is. Essentially, you're just giving yourself a little window, a little space Mm -hmm. to, instead of, have a reactive response reaction um, to, to have a more thoughtful one. So you can use your prefrontal cortex to think about, okay, well, if I respond this way, how's that going to go? And maybe if I respond this way, you, you, an example, I have a 16-year-old. So if she comes down the stairs in a really feisty bad mood and says something rude to me, I can attack Right, and come right back at her. But how's that going to (laughs) go? It's likely just going to spiral up or down, Down square the other. It's not going to go well. Whereas if I can take a breath and I can respond in a calm voice, um, you know, asking her calmly to say that in a different tone, or I understand, you know, what you're having a rough morning, but can you talk to me a little bit differently? that's going to lead to a much different reaction from her in the situation. Sure. So it just gives that little tiny bit of space. So pause, breathe, respond with intention. Yeah. And it might be one breath might be enough or it might be two or three. But I think we're conditioned to think that we need to respond to things immediately. Oh, yeah. And we don't. We really don't. Taking a few deep breaths... Is and creating a better solution is going to save you so much time. Yeah.
2: You know, it's funny. I I was just thinking the other day how, you know, in this modern society, because it really does come back to the fact that the world I live in now is so different from the one I grew up in, in the sense that you're right. There is more technology at our fingertips. It's pervasive in my life, right? Even the fact that we're talking via this, Right? Which it's is phenomenal, is, right? It's great. Yeah. There's so many positive things to it, but there's the downside of it's always in your face, it's always there. You're always getting emails, which can add to the stress if you don't have a zero mailbox and then you're like, oh my gosh, I have a hundred emails, I have to respond. Right. And and you start panicking. And how nothing is urgent as it was, you know, you would think, and that things can wait instead of doing a gut response why. Why not wait and see how it is? And I just started implementing that recently of if I get an email and it's not before six o'clock, I will not, I'll do my best not to reply to it so that Mm -hmm. I have time and just kind of set aside bulk time to respond to emails. Not an easy thing though, but um, I have noticed that my responses are a little bit more, um, not that I, those know me, it's not like I, I have any bad reactions normally. But, you know, it's a little bit more, I think it's more, I'm more calm when I respond, you know, especially if there's something crazy that's in there.
0: Right. And you're much more efficient and productive when you batch it that way. Because if we respond to that email every time it pops up on the corner of our screen, that constant multitasking Mm -hmm. also triggers stress in our brain. So, again, that's added stimulation. and. We spend our brain is not meant to multitask, so we're much more efficient and productive when I deal with all of my emails for an hour and then I dive into this project and I focus only on that and I turn off all the rest of my notifications. And, um, you know, my phone put in airplane mode, I get rid of the pop ups, I get rid of all those notifications. Those are other little things we can do to reduce the amount of stressors and triggers we have on our brain. Yeah. Because that, you know, that going back and forth is stressful that, you know, hearing the ding and even if you're trying not to respond it, you're wondering what it was. And and so it's really being intentional about how we use our technology, which is something I've, I've shifted, especially as I've gone more working in corporate environments and it's doubled my productivity. Yeah. I work a much shorter day than I did before making a lot of these changes around time blocking, around how I check my email, around how I manage distractions, and for students, it is huge.
2: Oh, I bet. I I, I didn't huge. even think about that. You know, and how even now, I think my work phone just dinged my yeah. day job phone, and I'm like, You're like, what? <laughs> Who is writing at? And I'm like, nope, nope. I'm off the clock. It can wait. But, you know, you're right. If you open up your phone, how many little... I have a friend who actually cannot... He turns off all his notifications. He doesn't have badge icons. He doesn't... He, he, he starts shaking when he sees mine. If I have more than one, or like, he's like, why do you have so many? And I'm like, uh, didn't I just ignore it. But, you know, yeah. some people can't. Some people can't, Some and people. we're trig I think with every new app and every new email and phone, everything's like, "Hey, we'll tell you immediately when this when this comes through." And we forget we
0: we're okay if it doesn't. Right, it, there are very few professions where that response time needs to be immediate. Yeah, and. In professions like that, I recommend that you need to carve out a part of your day when you're not working, Mm -hmm. where you have nothing, where you're in 100% airplane mode, You know, where you walk in the door and you commit to the first 60 minutes that you get home, the phone goes away, the computer goes away, everything is off, and give your brain a 60-minute break from that constant scanning for what's coming in next. Because even if we're not using our phone, if it's there, mm-hmm. uh, there's research that shows if it's sitting at the table in a restaurant, even if it's turned over and you're not looking at it, it impacts the quality of the relationship with the person you're interacting with. Because your brain is, is is a little bit over there thinking about what's coming in. So that is yeah, awesome. really shutting that, it down.
2: You know, that's great advice, guys. If just... And it's not like you're asking for a whole night. You're saying... 60 minutes, put it away, not just face down. And that's something I think I need to share with my parents here when we we come together in the evenings to pray before uh, turning in for the night and they will have their phones. I took a picture just yesterday uh, of my parents on their phones. I'm like, I'm sitting here waiting for them and they're just typing and texting and emailing. I'm like, hello, like when did the role reversal happen? right. Like, you guys remember there was a time when you were okay without this. And some people are like, people had newspapers then. I'm like, no, no, no. Like, you don't have to be accessible. Yeah. 7 you or seven or... newspaper,
0: but you didn't carry it around in your pocket all day. Exactly.
2: And, you know, then, with screens everywhere, it's probably good to rest your eyes.
0: I love that evening ritual too. Like, what an incredible opportunity for a brain to just let your brain restore, not only the spiritual benefits... But just uh, the opportunity for mindfulness and togetherness and a break from all of that is really incredible.
2: You know, and you're probably a proponent. One of the things that I've learned in trying to read up more about mental health and mindfulness and just taking care of yourself is, uh, you know, say some gratitudes, say some affirmations, and you know, journal and reflect. And so that's one of the things we do when we get together. Is we say what were we thankful for today? So that, you know, we remind ourselves, hey, it was a good day. What, why was it a good day? Actually pick something that yes. was good and not just kind of gloss over it because it makes you more intentional about the fact that each of us is blessed. You just got to realize and how.
0: Absolutely. And I love that you said what was good, what was good about it. What was good today? Yeah. Because I think that really, really deepens a gratitude practice. Instead of just, you know, listing three to five things I'm grateful for, you can easily get, easily get into um, a habit of um, oh my kids, my health, my food. But if I have to think about what, it, what happened, I'll, I'll just say what happened in the last 24 hours that I'm grateful for, then I'm really, you know, I'm using that prefrontal cortex to think about it. Yeah. And to identify that good that's in each and every day, and I have found it to be incredibly impactful uh, to do it that way. So I love that you're thinking about it in that way as well.
2: Well, I think my my concern was um, when I first started it. I noticed a pattern of copy paste syndrome. Yeah, it was the same yesterday. Oh, you know, I'm I'm grateful for my family. Oh, today I'm grateful for my family. Wait, wait. Sure. Then it just becomes rote that you're doing it. So uh, I, I hope, I mean, it's helped me um, just kind of ground myself and remind myself that I'm enough with everything I have and what's at, at my fingertips. And I hope it helps other people. I love the, the idea, though, of just disconnecting for 60 minutes. It's possible. And, and just from, from your point of view as a professional, nobody will get hurt by disconnecting for 60 minutes,
0: right? Unless you're an EMT, uh, an on-call doctor, uh, police, uh, you know, you you know whether somebody's going to get hurt. But if you're, people will say, oh, "I might lose a client." Yeah. Really? Will you really lose a client if you have something on your voicemail that says, "I will get back to you at X time"? Yeah. They're going to say, perfect, I know she's going to get back to me and I don't need to worry about that until 5pm today because she said she was going to get back to me within by the end of the day or within 24 hours. And that's enough. I'm not going to then go through the trouble of finding another realtor or going elsewhere, right? um, I just want to know what to expect. And when I know what to expect, I think people really appreciate it. And i going even say on my voicemail, you know, in order to be as efficient and productive as I can, this is what I do, and this is when I how often I answer my email, and this is how often I respond to voicemail, and I think people really appreciate that.
2: Yeah, I think people just want notice or notification, and if you, if it's after work hours, guys, you're fine. Mm-hmm. You're fine. I think one of the things um, uh, one of my mentors told me um, that I use today, and. I'm like giving away secrets, but it's, 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 it's a powerful thing to say is, you know, if you can't do something, say you're unavailable. They don't need to necessarily know the specific reasons. They don't necessarily have the right to know the specific reasons. You're sure. just unavailable, not forever, but for that period of time. And yeah. the world will keep going. And the thing we have to remember, especially with jobs and things like that, as morbid as, as it is to say, if you stress yourself out to death, that job will put you up for your job posting within the week. Yeah. You
0: know, and so you got to take care of you. Yeah, you show up, you do a good job. Um, people understand that. And it's interesting as I work with some of these um, bigger corporations, mm-hmm. a lot of what the leadership is talking about is things like mandating no email Saturday because they know how much it's stressing people out. Mm-hmm. But they, the, the employee um, perception is that they have to do this to get ahead. They have to do this so they won't be viewed as irresponsible. Um, but a lot of times the leadership is looking at this is they're going to burn out. They're going to yeah. leave. I'm going to have to hire somebody else. I would much rather have somebody who can enjoy their weekend and come back Monday morning refreshed and ready to, to crush it. Absolutely. Um, so, but, you know, that has to be very transparent and uh, the employers need to be communicating that if that's what they want. And so that people just so everybody has an understanding of what is the expectation for response time.
2: Yeah. And I would recommend, guys, don't be sacrificial of yourselves, especially no. if nobody's asking of it, of you. Don't don't do it. It's not worth it. You are important and yeah. they
0: would probably rather have you on Monday. Absolutely. It does not pay to be a martyr to, uh, yeah. And it'll get you because I was there and I was, you know, when I was pregnant and going through that year that I spoke about before my health crisis, I just thought I can do it all. I don't yeah. need any help. Yeah. I am superwoman, and I'm not going to show any kind of weakness. I can, you know, Bring home the bacon and and you know all of all of the above. I am woman here. Me roar. Yeah, yeah. And it and I still feel like I am woman here. Me roar. But I am doing it in a much more empowering way. That's better for me. Better for my family. Yeah. Uh, because it caught up with me, and I know it was the mismanaged stress that that eventually made me sick.
2: But it keeps you here longer, right? That's the other thing is because you've taken care of you identified it you've addressed it, uh, you know, you're here longer to talk about it. You're here to help more people. And let me just kind of clarify, because I think some people might think that if they do PB&R once, it's one and done. And
0: is yeah. that the case? That's a, I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah. So, number one, um, I think to use PBR effectively, we have to be doing other things to enhance our awareness. So for me, that is, um, I wake up in the morning. The first thing I think about when my eyes open is my coffee. So I go downstairs, I set my coffee to brew, and I spend about three to five minutes paying attention to my breathing. So a very simple mindfulness meditation. And that sets the tone for my day. It stimulates my prefrontal cortex. So I'm starting my day thinking clearly you know, being very engaged, um, just in that right brain state to be productive, to be happy. And the more I do that, as I strengthen my prefrontal cortex through that practice, the more I'm able to use PBR when I need it. Because I, um, you know, I, that takes some awareness to be able to use that practice. So I, I use the analogy of, you know, in my school's program, if you have two four-year-old twins in two different classes, and one of them is in a, using a mindfulness curriculum, and they practice breathing every day, they do five breaths or whatever they do, and the other one doesn't. If you're in Walmart, and they're both throwing a huge temper tantrum because you're not going to buy the neon Fruit Loops or whatever it is that they want, <laughs> and they're screaming and yelling, you tell them to take a deep breath. The one that practices it in school every day is going to be able to do that, to calm themselves down. Right. The one that's never taken a breath is going to scream louder for sure. And it's the same for adults. We have to to incorporate this into our lives in all kinds of ways to be able to use these little practices when, when they, we need them. Now, I, I don't think that you have to sit on a cushion for 20 minutes twice a day to receive benefits of a mindfulness practice. I really am a firm believer that a little bit can go a long way. And I know that for myself, I've seen that in the clients that I've worked with. Obviously, more is better. It's like exercise. You know, I talk about meditation as like bicep curls for your prefrontal cortex. So the more you can do, the better it's going to be. But I'm telling you that five minutes makes or breaks my day on a daily basis. And there's a huge payoff on ter- for that five minutes in terms of how happy I am, how patient I am, the kind of partner I am, the kind of parent I am, and how productive I am.
2: That's awesome. So it's
0: huge. Guys, you gotta, you gotta do
2: this. I mean, it's, we keep talking about mental health and it's just so important that I'd love for you guys to even just do what Kristen is saying in regards to PBR and taking that what, five minutes if that while you're making coffee while you're brushing your teeth or something mm-hmm. in takes, the shower in the shower just during a, few a workout minutes, just a few minutes and it, let us know if you see a difference cuz i'm pretty sure you will when i started incorporating these small things i've been seeing a difference i'm not as stressed i'm not as quick i get my stress manifests in a physical manifesta- manifestation of like in my left side of my neck i just get this pain that has dropped within the past year, just because I've been, I'd like to think because I've been doing a lot of these exercises, gratitudes, affirmations, meditation, journaling uh, to
0: help. Absolutely. And it's interesting. I think we all process stress differently. Hmm. I am the same. I, it's all physical for me. I get sick. My immune system gets worn down. I have that same tension in my neck and upper back. My husband is explosive, so he gets overly stressed and boom, everybody knows it. So and in some ways, I think that's a lot healthier <laughs> because he gets <laughs> it out and then he's fine. Whereas, you know, you just kind of soak it all yeah. in and eventually it gets to you. Yeah. Um, but we can, regardless of how it impacts you, we can build resilience to it in similar ways.
2: So Kristen, before I get to the fun section of the questions... What is one thing, because we've talked about a lot of things, but for people listening today, let's go with people at work, people that are in college. Um, Hopefully they'll impart it upon their children, but let's focus on those who are probably, let's say, 20 plus. What is one thing that they can do today to help them do better so that they can chase their dreams?
0: Easy. So there is a practice called three good things. It builds on, it's similar to a gratitude practice, but the way it works is at the end of the day, you identify three good things that occur during your day and you share them with someone or you write them down. But I like sharing them with someone and I'll tell you why. When we do this for 14 days, what studies have shown is we see a significant increase in happiness, a reduction in anxiety and depression. Improved sleep quality, better work-life balance. And when they follow people for six months after this two-week practice, they find that it trends better than Prozac for easing depression and boosting happiness.
2: And that's for people maintaining it the six months.
0: Yes, maintaining it. They're not even still doing the practice. They did it for two weeks. And what I love about this, there's many things. Obviously, I love all of those benefits. It takes two minutes a night. The way I recommend doing it is reaching out to a couple of friends. They could be in school with you. Maybe they're at a different school somewhere else. Maybe it's somebody, you know, a friend you had a while ago who lives across the country that you've kind of lost touch with Mm -hmm. and say, hey, will you do this practice with me? Then set an alarm on your smartphone and you can label those alarms, label it three good things, put it for seven, eight People younger than me are probably up a lot later, whatever time you want. And then you just type three good things from your day. It doesn't have to be, you know, uh, you got an A plus on the paper or you, you won the intramural championship. Mm-hmm. But it could just be that, you know, the sun felt great on my skin. The, you know, the tulips are starting to come up. My dog was so excited to see me when I got home. Simple things. And so you share that in this group text, and that will remind the people participating with you to share theirs. You get this incredible window into their life. And I love it, especially with people I haven't been connected to in a little while and just being able to hear about their good things and what goes on in their day. And it, and then you feel, obviously you feel those benefits yourself. So Anybody can do it. Grandparents can do it with grandkids. College students, you can do it within your own company if you have a team that you work with, and it just gives so much. Um, it's so it's so much power. Uh, it, for such a small investment wow. that I can't say I can't say enough good things about it. And as you practice, the thing that happens is you start to recognize throughout the day, you think, oh, that might be one of my three good things, or that might be one of my three good things. Sure. So it becomes much more um, present in your, in your brain and at the forefront of your mind. So just to clarify,
2: so these, the, the study you did was a group of people said three good things for two weeks. Yes. And the benefits were seen in two weeks, but not only just two weeks, but those so same people who only did it for two weeks had benefits lasting for six months?
0: Yes, better than Prozac. Now, I did not do the study. The research came out of the Duke Patient Safety Center. Okay, That's the original place I saw the study done. Um, it's been duplicated in all kinds of different situations. They've done three good things, three funny things all different ways, but the original study was, yes, a group of people that did this for two weeks and six months later, um, that was the trend. So if you're going to do one thing, find one person. Mm -hmm. If it's your mom, a brother, sister, uh, whoever it is, I, I can't say, you know, I think that's a phenomenal place to start.
2: I love it. I love it, Kristen. Thank you so much for that because I think guys, Uh, you should do it. If you need someone, reach out to me. I'd be happy to be your partner for that. Hit me up. It's a great challenge. And let's make that an April challenge. Uh, I'll put it in my newsletter. Uh, We'll make it a a challenge for April 1st, 14 days. Let's do three good things and see how that goes.
0: Yeah, set up a social media group, whatever you want to do.
2: Yeah, I love it. All right, Kristen, it's time to get to know you a little bit. Uh Uh-oh. Time for five questions. Let's see what you do, how you answer. All right. These are randomly picked. All right. Where is your favorite place
0: to eat lunch? My favorite place to eat lunch, somewhat dependent on the time of year, but I will say in the winter, there is a little restaurant at the bottom of the ski area in Steamboat Springs, Colorado, where I live called Paramount Cafe, and they have the most unbelievable French fries which is my weakness. And it comes with this incredible sauce. And so after skiing really hard, there's something about those fries that I just can't resist. Now you're making me hungry. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) What kind of sauce? Like a cheese sauce? Like a kind of like an artichoke aioli garlic thing. I don't even know, but it's so good.
2: Yeah, you're definitely making me hungry. Um, If you could spend one week at any hotel, which would you choose?
0: Ooh, that's interesting.
2: I know I wouldn't have thought of that one. That's
0: yeah. We don't really. We're more of like the Airbnb type. Uh, but if I could go to any hotel, I think maybe I would go back to. Um, I would go to the Hyatt in Kauai. Ooh which was this very fancy hotel where I spent a uh, part of my honeymoon and it would just was very lush. And <laughs> yeah, no. not something that I've done anytime since, but I would go back there. It sounds like it was memorable. I love Kauai. Yeah. Love Kauai.
2: Number three, what's your fa- most favorite pair of shoes you've ever
0: owned? My Uggs. Ooh. Yeah. Ugg boots they work as slippers they work as snow boots you can wear them to yoga class they're not very attractive uh they were given to me as a swag gift when I worked for a ski area 30 years ago it's a nice (laughs) swag gift I still have them so that says something about their durability or at least how they how durable they were when they made them back then but
2: I love it I love it I, I I have, I have Uggs. They're nice. Um, number four, who would you choose as Time Magazine's Person of the Year if you had a choice?
0: This year? You know, the first person that popped into my mind was Michelle Obama, I think, because I read her book recently, and I just, I think she's amazing, um, but I'm trying to think of something more relevant to this year. And I, I am drawing a blank. It's, it's still early. It's like just, just Q2's just started. So Yeah, yeah. I think I would still stick with Michelle. I love her. She's love, doing amazing I everything things. I think she stands for. I think she's brilliant. And um, I love her story. Number five.
2: All right, last question. What's the funniest advice your mother has given you?
0: Oh, gosh. (laughs) I, the thing that came to mind immediately, which I think I have to share, um, (laughs) is when I was 16 or 17, I had my first serious boyfriend. And my mom never talked to me about anything um, that could not be spoken about at the dinner table. We'll put it that way. And I remember her cleaning out the refrigerator and her her head never came out of the refrigerator. Mm-hmm. But she gave me some sort of advice that was something along the lines of, you know, you come from a very fertile line. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think was her version of the, of talk? the control talk. But uh, luckily, I had a much older sister who could help me with all of those kinds of questions. Uh, but I just remember laughing at the fact that, like her, her entire upper body was in the refrigerator she when she did, said it. She Didn't even pull out. It was didn't all I she could do. <laughs> she, was <hiding. laughs> yeah. she was like, "Nope. Mm-mm. This is the extent oh, of what I'm saying." It was all she could do. Gotcha, <laughs> mom. <laughs> I, loud and clear. Oh, oh, and then it was followed by, you know, it only took one time and then we had your sister. And I was thought, okay, I've heard enough. I know it's where you're warning going. Advice.
2: It was the yeah. warning advice, nonetheless. Yes. Well, Kristen,
0: thank you so much for coming
2: on. Loved, loved, loved everything you shared. Guys, take on the three good things challenge. Yes. We'll put more on social media about that as this episode airs. And if you're listening to this episode after April 1st, You can still do it. You don't have to have a formal challenge to do it. Just do it. Right. That's the important thing. Kristen, how can these guys connect with you and find you on the interwebs?
0: Yes, so you can follow me on Instagram at Dr. Kristen Race. Uh, my website is kristenrace.com and you can also find a lot of great information about what I'm doing with Silvassa at silvassabeauty.com. So I'm all three of those places and I would love to engage and, and help you any way I can.
2: Definitely guys, be sure to check her out. Thank you, Kristen. Hey guys, remember, you can find all of the links and notes we mentioned here on the show notes page over at amyj21.com slash episode 219. That's episode 219. All right, Dream Chasers, until next time when we catch up, don't stop. Keep chasing. Thanks.
1: Thank you so much for listening to Chasing Dreams. Amy would love to connect with you and hear all about your pursuit of chasing your dreams.